Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Politics is always about priorities. I do not think that the people who want to get a haircut right now and are protesting in capitals about that want anyone to die from this. I do not think their intention is to kill other human beings. This is Sarah and Beth. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics, the home of grace-filled political conversations. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Pantsuit Politics. Today, we are going to tackle plandemic. You know, I did a little piece on the news brief. It's hard to say plandemic like a lot in a row. So because of the, the consonant clusters or because you can't believe yeah, that we're... Yeah. And um, so, I mean, that is that is in full disclosure, the smallest part of the struggle <laughs> of plandemic, but just felt like voicing it. We are also going to talk about a couple other headlines, but before we get started, we wanted to welcome our newest executive producer, Janice Elliott. Janice, thank you so much for supporting our show. You've heard Janice's voice on the podcast before. She has been a longtime supporter and is just an incredibly wise and loving and compassionate soul, and we are so happy to have her. There's a beautiful letter from Janice in our book. I think you're wrong, but I'm listening. She's been informing our thinking for a long time, and it is just really an honor to have her join all of the people who support us in that way. So thank you to all of you. 
So as of the day of recording our show, there are over 1.2 million confirmed cases of coronavirus in the United States and over 73,000 deaths. Only 189,000 people are counted as having recovered from the virus. It is important to note that those deaths aren't equal. A study showed that counties with disproportionately African-American populations accounted for 52 percent of COVID-19 diagnoses and 58 percent of deaths nationally. Another found that nearly a third of those who have died of COVID-19 are African-American, even though Black people represent only 14 percent of the population in the areas that study analyzed. And that information came to me through the dispatch, which is a conservative-leaning outlet. So I want you to understand that when we talk about the disproportionate impacts of COVID-19, it is not moralizing. Those are not liberal talking points. Those are hard facts reflecting the state of our society right now. Okay. Plandemic. For those of you truly blessed individuals that have not heard of Plandemic, it is a viral video spreading across the internet featuring Dr. Judy Mikovit, a uh, medical researcher. I think it was created to advertise her new book, but it is taking off a life much larger than that. Well, and this 25-minute segment is apparently part of a larger movie. So if you see this coming out, it will be labeled as part one, um, and there will be more. So perhaps we'll be having this conversation again, although I hope not. No, no. mm -mm. Um, So we thought we would just tackle our initial viewing. We're not going to do a point-by-point rebuttal, one, because that would take a couple hours, two, because there's plenty of that content. In fact, if you Google Plandemic, what you're going to find is lots and lots of rebuttals, and you're probably going to struggle a little bit to find the video itself, which is fine with me. You know, I think the miscalculation here is usually all of us are just really too busy to bat down individual conspiracy theories. But this time, people have so much time on their hands. <laughs> so they were ready to go. It's so funny. Like the first person who sent it to us probably two days ago, and I Googled it. And the first thing that came up was Crooked Media had an episode called Plandemic. And I like struggled to make sure I was finding the right thing. And I found it. It had like 200 views. And then within, you know, 24 hours, it was 200,000 views. And then you couldn't find it. And you, I mean, you can find it, but you have to dig a little bit. So... We got message after message after message from all of y'all because clearly you were seeing it. You were being texted links to the film. Um, We heard a lot of people say like, oh, this was not someone I would expect to send me a conspiracy theory telling me to check it out that it makes a lot of sense. And so we knew we needed to, to watch it and talk about it here on the show. I think it's important as we talk about this not to be snarky about it because I really do understand why this one landed with people. I really do understand why you're seeing people share this who you would normally not think would share this kind of content. So let's walk through some initial red flags, because one thing we can learn from pandemic is that misinformation is getting more sophisticated. It is going from Alex Jones yelling to what looks like a pretty serious documentary style conversation among people who stay calm all the time and who use some B-roll that looks like B-roll we're used to seeing in all kinds Mm -hmm. of media. 
And so there are still red flags along the way. They're just getting a little bit more subtle. And I think we should learn what some of those red flags are. The first rule I always think about is exactly what you were just talking about, Sarah. It is difficult to find this if it hadn't come to you. And as we've said before, you should be going out to get your information, not having it come to you via algorithm or sharing. If you can't Google pandemic and find reputable news outlets that you typically rely on and trust sharing it, that is a big red flag. The first, I would say, two to three minutes. But I mean, we, my husband and I paused it a minute and 17 in and we're like, hold up, what? We learned a fun new term called a gish gallop. It's a technique used during debating that focuses on overwhelming an opponent with as many arguments as possible without regard for accuracy or strength of the argument. And that is, it is a gish gallop through the first three minutes of pandemic. It's establishing her biography. And so it is a barrage of sort of respect her expertise learn about her her persecution, but there is no citation, no effort to provide, like, any sort of background or context for what she's saying. So, like, in the first 30 seconds is, one of the most respected scientific researchers of her generation, and my husband are like, wait, who said that? Who called her that? Like, you can't just say, you don't, saying it doesn't make it true. And then there's a lot of like, well, her thesis on this did this. Based on what? Like, there's just no, there is a gish gallop through this. <laughs> She's this, 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 and this with no citation. So, like, I think if you have even a modicum of media training, analytical training, critical thinking skills, it is hard not to sit through the first three minutes and be like, are you kidding me? It's hard not to get snarky. It's hard not to just like roll your eyes until they get stuck because that, especially about her background, is just a barrage of she's an expert. She was persecuted. Just trust us. I also understand, though, that a, a lot of media can sound that way, that we're used to hearing someone's credentials presented to us. But the key here is that you didn't see sites, as Sarah's saying. We don't see mm -hmm. pull quotes from reputable newspapers, magazines. Every local media clip used in this video, it's 25, 26-ish minutes, every local media clip is blurred so that you can't see what station was running the interviews. Mm -hmm. We were able to recognize one because my husband saw the logo of the local telecom service on it, so we knew where it came from. But that's only because my husband is in telecommunications. Yeah. You can't identify any of the speakers that are pulled in beside her. You know, when you're watching a video that's supposed to share information with you, you should be able to see down at the bottom the name of the speaker, the place that person is coming from, often the date on which it was recorded. There's a moment she talks about being arrested. Her kind of reason for being in this position is that she believes she has been persecuted by the scientific community as well as by law and 
enforcement for disagreeing with powerful members of the scientific community, including Dr. Fauci. Well, there's B-roll. So that's film that you're seeing while people are talking, right? We And we get that all the time. But there is, there's B-roll of people who are, are looking like they're dressed for a raid going into some house. And there's nothing on the screen other than a web address for a media company that films things like that. But it doesn't say where it took place, the date on which it took place. Often documentary makers, and I hate this, but a lot of people do it, will dramatize things that have happened before. But it should tell you that's what they're doing. There is no place in this video, lots of purported doctors are talking, but for all we know, they're just guys in scrubs. There is no Mm -hmm. name. Who is this gentleman? What is his medical specialty? Where is he practicing? You know, if you're not going to put your name on something, then it's really difficult for us to vet it accurately. So we spend the first three minutes through this gish gallop of her background. She was arrested without charges. She was they came into her house without a warrant. Well, sister, with love, if those things happen to you, which there is no outside indication that they did, there's lots of documentation about the legal conflict that she got into because it's pretty weird. It's a little rare. You don't see a lot of research institutes pursuing civil judgments against former employees for stealing intellectual property. So it got a lot of coverage. Nowhere is there any indication that any of what she said as far as not being charged, um, being under a gag order for five years, all this stuff is being true. So, I mean, if that was true, I I hope she sued and doesn't need to write books or make money any other way um, because she should have got a lot of money for the violation of her, her constitutional rights against imprisonment. And so you get through that and then you kind of move into this Dr. Fauci attack phase of the the program. She thinks that he, I mean, it just depends on the second in the video you're in, that he he profited, uh, he, you know, postponed the release of certain HIV information that got people killed so that he could get patents, so he could make all the money. And he uses his position to hand out grants to keep people silent who know that she really didn't do anything wrong. Um, I'm like less interested in the Dr. Fauci part of the program, just because I feel like Dr. Fauci can stick up for himself. I don't think the most important part of this is sort of the character assassination on him. That's clearly what it is. I'm not saying, you know, it's not problematic. I just think like, you know, there's lots of medical experts out there offering advice about social distancing and washing your hands and how to prevent the spread of the coronavirus. And so I just think the more emphasis we put on that Dr. Fauci is the medical expert, it sort of waters down the fact that like, okay, fine. You don't want to listen to Dr. Fauci? Cool. That's fine. He's going to be fine. I don't think Dr. Fauci cares one little bit about the character assassinations on him. He strikes me as a very level-headed dude. He's 79. I bet he's got some really good perspective. Fine. Like, the, if you're if you're mad at him, cool. We don't have to talk about Dr. Fauci. We can talk about somebody else. So that part of the, like, I'm not as concerned about. What did you think about that part? I thought that it mischaracterized underlying legislation in a way that mm-hmm. needs to be at least briefly addressed. The... She looks into the camera and basically says she wants President Trump to know that this law, the Bayh-Dole Act, ruined science. And 
part of what she is saying is that, the, and I am always going to say part of because she's just saying so much that is mostly mm-hmm. unrelated. It's real. I can outline just about anything. Okay, I'm not to brag, but like one of my law school <laughs> skills, is I can outline about anything, and I could not outline what she was saying because there there aren't coherent themes. It's a grab bag of ideas. But one of those ideas is that because the government backs certain research, we put taxpayer dollars behind research and development, and then contractors at universities and nonprofits and and for-profits use those dollars and do research and then get patents that they can license to pharmaceutical companies and medical device makers, every person in that flow of money and ideas is hopelessly corrupt. Mm -hmm. And I think that is a mischaracterization of the law. And just like really briefly, this law was passed in the 1970s when Purdue University called their senator, Birch Bayh, and said, hey, the government is doing a terrible job licensing patents. The government's holding all these patents and doing a terrible job licensing them. And because of that, a lot of R&D dollars are wasted. And a lot of us who are doing really important work aren't getting any credit for it. And so Birch Bay works with Bob Dole in, who, in the Senate at that time, who's getting similar complaints. And they put together this legislation. And it basically says, OK, instead of the government holding all of these patents, They're going to dole them out to people who are doing the actual work with these R&D dollars. And we hope that will be an engine for investment in the very expensive process involved in bringing drugs to a mass market. And we hope lots of people make money during that process. And yes, this means that there are scientists who benefit financially from the use of their discoveries. That is just true. And you could argue that that is a conflict of interest, and you could argue that it is an incentive for making some really life-saving stuff. And it's probably both of those things in different proportions in different people. But the bulk of analysis that I found in too many hours of my life past bedtime says that Bidol has successfully prevented research dollars from going to waste, created lots of jobs, pumped lots of money into the economy. And the big controversy about Bidol is not what this woman is saying at all. It's that there is a provision in it that gives the government rights to take those patents back when really needed. And Mm -hmm. some people have been calling for the government to do that around COVID-19 treatment. And other people are saying that is a recipe for absolute disaster. So I just think she says something that sounds a little bit credible, right? Because you go, Bidol, what's that? I mean, it's, it's, not something that the general public is familiar with. She says directly, President Trump, I want you to do something about this, despite the fact that the president cannot repeal anything Congress has enacted into law without Congress doing something first. And so I just think that point, that point um, clearly worked me up a little bit. I mean, I think this whole section where we're still kind of following the path of her axe to grind about how she was treated in the scientific research community Look, you know, sister was working in the 70s and 80s, no, probably the 80s and 90s in the scientific community. Not exactly a friendly a friendly environment for women generally. Still isn't a particularly friendly environment for women generally. And 
I'm sure that, like, if she had wanted to, she could have made a documentary that presented some really fair criticisms of the scientific research community and the process with which it functions and places where the process has been exploited. It's possible to do that with almost every industry on the planet. There is no area in which human beings work that is immune from criticism about unfair practices or corruptions or inefficiencies. But conspiracy theorists don't want to do that, right? They don't want to do the hard work of saying, this works kind of well, this is really not working. Can we fit, Can we make some incremental improvements in the process, right? That's not fun. That's not sexy. Um, and, and it certainly doesn't sit you up to be both the victim and the hero at the same time, which is, to me, another central thread in a lot of conspiracy theories. And, you know, that's what I hear from her. I hear, you know, I'm not going to claim that she never got mistreated, that some of these processes aren't ripe for corruption. And I don't need to be an expert in the scientific community and the way that research grants are given out, the government's role in all of that, to understand that it's not a massive conspiracy of corrupt people. It's just regular old people like everywhere else in the world. And some people are really corrupt and some people are in it for the right reasons. And depending on the fertile environment on which those people stand, you will either (laughs) get lots of corruption or a really good flourishing or somewhere in between, which is usually the reality. And so I just to me, it's like she didn't really want to tell her story and be fair about what happened to her. She wants to be a hero. She wants to be the victim and the hero of this massive global conspiracy of evil villains like Dr. Fauci that want to just kill millions of people so they can make some money. I mean, do you guys know a lot of really rich, famous medical researchers that you look at them and you're like envious of their careers? I don't know any like that. Where I'm like, man, they're at the top of the world where you think like, who'd they have to kill to get there? Oh, turns out half the continent of Africa. I mean, come on. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I think the the nerdiness of my um, hang up on that piece of legislation that she mentioned aside, the headline of, of that part of the video is just setting the stage for you cannot trust anything. Okay, just don't Mm -hmm. don't trust anything. And then she gets more specific about not trusting vaccines. But here's what's really insidious. I think the gentleman who's interviewing her, which I'm putting in air quotes in this video, looks at her with his very dramatic eyes. My husband said that he was like really distracted just by the kind of posture that the interviewer took throughout the whole video. But he looks at her dramatically and says, you know, are you an anti-vaxxer? And she says, no, my job is to create, you know, therapies and vaccines are just therapies. I'm not an anti-vaxxer. But then she tells us that there are certain forms of virus for which no vaccine works. And included in that is the flu vaccine. And I think this is something that you spent some time on on Instagram, Sarah. Flu vaccines are demonstrated to be effective about 69 percent of the time, as found in numerous scientific studies. And that does leave open a door for people to go, well, that's like a lot of times when they aren't. 
Mm-hmm. And I think this is another reason this video has landed because you you probably do know somebody. You probably had the experience yourself of getting a flu vaccine and then getting really sick that year because you got a different strain or whatever. And so there's like enough of a seed. And when you put that seed down in this field that she's creating of it's all corrupt, it's all about money, it can germinate a bit. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash pantsuit. Dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality but not salon priced manicure, Olive and June has you covered. We've talked about Olive and June's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and June also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsuit for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash pantsy.
I think she spends a substantial part of the video kind of going after the scientific research process and virology. And then she she pivots and starts really focusing on the medical community. And I think that's an important distinction. I think it's important to talk about scientific researchers and the medical community because I think it's really different. And now we're as we move into the medical community, she does this really interesting dance where she is using doctors to tell you not to trust doctors. It's a it's a pretty delicate <laughs> Logical process, illogical process that she's doing there. But I think the reason that it falls and lands for so many people is because, you know, look, the skepticism in me sees and recognizes the skepticism in you. I had two home births and I had a third one planned, but it snowed. Okay, I have a lot of skepticism around the medical community. I think there is a problem And I think that problem is rearing its ugly ugly head, as all of us think we're medical experts around COVID-19, where we want to present an argument as if we have complete information. And if you take nothing from this podcast as you enter into conversations with your loved ones about COVID-19, it is to present fairly and accurately that we do not have complete information about COVID-19. There is so much we don't know. And we have to be honest with people. And I think the reason this video is landing is because we haven't been. And we want want people to do what we say we're going to do. So we want to argue that it's absolutely the right thing to do. And for better or for worse, that's just not the case right now. You see it in spades with this conversation about masks. And so asserting any sort of moral judgment about whether someone wears a mask or not, I think is is particularly unfair. Do not let that feed your despondency about the quote unquote, you know, state of the human race, because that has been so confusing from the beginning and remains confusing guidance. And so, you know, I think we need to recognize that there are so many areas in the medical community generally, but particularly as we live in this this COVID-19 crisis, where we act or want to act as if we have complete information and we know all there is to know and we know the right thing to do. And that is not true. And people know that and they sense that. And so when somebody like Dr. Judy comes along and says, you're right, they don't know what they're talking about and says they don't know what they're talking, you know, and then presents another doctor with that. Because, in you know, in America, we walk this really, really cool line between hating doctors and loving them. <laughs> And being super skeptical of the medical community and thinking it's corrupt and thinking they're making too much money and also really taking everything our doctors say as the gospel truth. Like it's it's a really fascinating psychological rope we climb or walk in this country and I'm sure in other parts of the world. But so she'll do this like she'll pull in these doctors and say, see this doctor and I'm a doctor and we're telling you all the other doctors don't know what they're talking about. And I think it you know, we're already sort of we feel that. You're telling me something different every day. Why should I believe you now? And that's why I think that's a big reason why this has gone so viral. And this is the part that I probably have the most sympathy for, because I do think if you're writing some lessons learned about the way we've handled coronavirus, you must put at the top of that list. You can't tell the general public a mask is ineffective unless it's a surgical mask 
don't wear masks because the surgical masks are the only ones that work and they need to be worn by our healthcare professionals. And then months later say, don't go anywhere without a mask. Like, I completely understand looking at the homemade mask and thinking that is not going to do anything for me. I also have no problem wearing one. None. Mm -hmm. If it is nothing more than a symbol that I care about my neighbors or a reminder to me not to touch my face or a way for all of us to say we're doing our best through something hard, Mm -hmm. if it is likely to help 0.1%, no skin off my back to put that mask on in the world. So I'm going to wear one when I go out, and I hope that you will too, but I also completely understand the skepticism about the masks. And when I think about the events in my life when I have felt the most talked down to and humiliated, there are four and three of them concerned doctors. So I get the resistance. I've also had wonderful doctors. And those Mm -hmm. three doctors that I found really traumatizing were still trying to do their very best work. You know, people are not evil because of how they make us feel sometimes. And people are not part of a conspiracy because of how they make us feel sometimes or because they've got something wrong or because they're only at 69 percent on solving a problem that's really damn hard. And so Mm -hmm. I think it is important to hold all of that together and have grace for the people who are buying into this because of their feelings and then also be able to step back and say there are people with feelings on the other side of this, too, who are also doing their very best. And I hate that Dr. Judy has framed this up. I I hate that I'm calling her Dr. Judy. Um, (laughs) But I hate that this has been framed up like, forgive yourselves, medical professionals, for not seeing the light in this massive system Mm -hmm. that has trained you to look at everything wrongly. And listen to me. I will bring you around to the good side because I think it is so offensive to the education and the work and the sacrifice that people make to try to be the Mm -hmm. very best doctor you can be when truly there is nothing more complex than the human body. I mean, it is a miracle that we know as much as we know right now. I mean, let me pivot uh, from my skepticism to a a truly self-righteous posture, if I may. Um, The part that really infuriates me and just makes me so angry I could cry when I think of all those pictures I see of doctors going into overburdened systems across the world and in the United States to care for people and then like saying hi to their own children through a glass door and then she gets on here and implies that they're doing it because they're getting more money from Medicare makes me want to burn it down how dare you because Doctors also know and probably can comprehend better than most when there's not complete information. So they know how little we know about COVID-19. And they go in there anyway. And they step through those doors and they put their own health and the health of their families at risk. And you are implying they're doing it for money. You should be ashamed of yourself. You should be ashamed of yourself. To prey on these fears and easy shortcuts and easy stereotypes in the face of some real heroism and real bravery from the medical community 
is just, it's gross. It's really gross. Like, that part was difficult to stomach. And I think that if you are listening to this and thinking of one doctor you know who's a real jerk, fine. Of course, you know, in any population, there are going to be people who you cannot muster getting the word hero out of your mouth about. It's true in the military. It's true in the medical profession. It's true among teachers. It's true among presidents. You know, it's just in any population, there's going to be someone who leaps to your mind because we are human beings wired for protective instincts, which means the most negative one sticks out to us. It's fine. That doesn't render the whole bad. And that's what this video does. It renders the whole bad. Mm -hmm. And so I got very lost and I had to watch a couple of times the scene where there's a discussion of how we cannot, so we can't trust doctors as a whole. We can't trust most vaccines. And now we cannot trust social distancing because what we're actually doing is weakening our immune system by not having it out in the world interacting with other people and good bacteria. And the part where I thought, okay, I'm about out, is when um, a couple of the guys in Scrubs who I guess are doctors somewhere in the world, but they're, again, not identified. The Bakersfield. Those are the Bakersfield doctors. Yeah, I'm just trying to make the point that even the Bakersfield doctors doesn't narrow down for me what their specialties are. (laughs) I read that they own some urgent care centers, I think. Because, listen, I am on board with we need good bacteria. Fully on board. I am on board with... Here, wait, time out. Beth, every time you're sick, what do I tell you to do? Probiotics. And when your children are sick. Probiotics. Every time. We take them. We take probiotics (laughs) here. Okay. So I'm on board with that. I am on board with we've we've had too much antibacterial hand soap at moments in history. I'm on board with we over-prescribe antibiotics because we need more good bacteria. So I'm with them a ways. But when they act as though spending a couple months in our houses where we still have male, dogs, people, bugs, all of life still happening here in our houses, right? Life is still occurring. Food that in a couple of months, we're going to drastically reduce the efficacy of our immune system. And when one of the doctors kind of makes fun at the hand washing and surface disinfecting, that's where I thought, you know what? If somebody wearing scrubs is telling you that you're washing your hands too much, I think the skepticism should go up pretty high. Because just as a general proposition, hand washing is good, right? And so we go from the kind of big picture, don't trust anything in the medical community, to now getting out sort of the bingo card of things that irritate people about coronavirus. And that bingo card includes the masks. It includes social distancing. It includes this sort of sense of open everything back up. This is silly. We make a stop at the beach. Please don't miss the stop at the beach. Go ahead. You tell the stop at the beach. Because Beth got, I got a little further than Beth because I was sort of already well-versed in the our Bakersfield friends. Um, and so I was like, oh, I know you guys. I know you got high friends. Um, so I was kind of rolling my eyes through that part. But where she really, really lost me. I mean, she lost me in the first minute and 17 seconds as per, like the gish gallop. I was like, whoo, friend. Um, but then like I was like, okay, I'm going to give her some grace. I bet she got mistreated. I was like really trying. And then we get to the part where she's like, of course, we should go to the beach. There are, and I quote, sequences in the sand 
and microbes in the salt water. So, seeming to imply that, I don't know what sequence in the sand means. First of all, I don't know what those words mean. I know what sand means. Wasn't it sequences? Sequence means. Sequences? Yeah, but sequences of what? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, look, mm-hmm. I have a sweatshirt that says salt water heals everything. I am not completely. But that's not what you mean. It, but that is not what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it just, it was, so, I was like, sister, sister, the healing powers of the ocean? Like, come on. Do you know what's in the, do you know what is in the ocean? Everything. And again, like, let me say, because I don't want to become snarky about this. I, I don't know that I would have closed the beaches were I a decision maker. I don't know that I would have. But not because you think there's healing microbes in the water. Yeah. Be- but I, I do, <laughs> like, I totally am on board with all the research about how good it is to be outside right now, how important that is. I get yeah. that people think things have gone too far in terms of restriction. I totally see and get that. I just think that bringing up this example and reaching for the sequences in the sand Shows that this video's intention is to Mm -hmm. check the boxes of every person viewing by hitting something that they feel skeptical about, suspicious of, or just pissed about. And that's where the beach thing comes in to me. And then we get a little on hydroxychloroquine. Mm -hmm, Why can't mm -hmm. you get that? And my husband, who is, you know, one of the smartest people I know, says... It is weird that people were so ferociously against hydroxychloroquine. And I said, Chad, I don't think people were against hydroxychloroquine. I don't. First of all, I don't know that you can be against a drug. But I think what people were against was the president of the United States talking about Mm -hmm. it as though it is a complete cure when the scientific community does not have evidence that it's a complete cure. Maybe it helps some people. There are folks prescribing it. It has not been like taken off the face of the earth. You know, the discussion about that became a flashpoint because the president decided to become an epidemiologist for a second or a medical doctor for a mm-hmm. second. And and that's what I think it is. But but this gets to I was amazed that the video went here. They showed this weird montage of media sources and In that montage, the point is people are trying to divide us all the time. And I thought, well. And they showed everybody. Yes. Alex Jones, Rachel Maddow, Megan McCain, Bill Maher. Everybody got everybody got their moment in the sun. And I thought, yes, I agree with you here. We are being divided all the time. And I think the point video content like this. Right. Like content like I mean, I think the point was this is all a distraction from sort of the real they who are pulling the strings. But again, this all happens kind of quickly. It's embedded in lots of scientific jargon. And so I I do understand how you can kind of go along like, well, I see it. And again, I watched it twice and I watched some parts more than twice because it it is hard to take it all in. It just, I think when you do back away from it, you can start to see pretty clearly the techniques being employed, the gaps in logic, the things that are just outright absurd, and that this, too, has an angle and a purpose and an intention, and that angle and purpose and intention is not to assist 
with public health efforts. I think if I was talking to a friend or family member about this video, and let's let's really, really hope you are speaking over the phone or Zoom or maybe you live in the same house and not over Facebook. It's not a good way to do this. But I would say I don't know if everything that we've done or every policy recommendation has been the right thing to do in the face of COVID-19. And I think anyone who tells you otherwise is being intellectually dishonest. We're missing so much information, and it's hard to know what the right thing to do. But why I think this video is so problematic is it because it implies if we find out later it wasn't the right thing, it's because the people in positions of power were trying to hurt us, that the doctors were trying to make money and they were trying to hurt people. And they include a broad group of people and that classification. And that, to me, that's what's dangerous. People get things wrong. Experts get things wrong. People make mistakes. Experts in the scientific community and the medical community will make mistakes. But to use sort of the confusion in the face of a completely new challenge no one understands to imply that their motives are evil is dangerous and wrong. To me, that's the, the crusp, right? It's not that everything in here is wrong, and let me tell you why everything we've been told to do about COVID-19 is right. It's that, yeah, this is a confusing time, and it's hard. It's hard on all of us. It's hard on our experts. It's hard on researchers and people in the medical community. But for the most part, people are doing the best they can. And they're trying to help. And to imply that it's a mass conspiracy of evil people trying to make money off killing thousands and thousands and thousands of people is really dangerous. One of the contentions in the video that is true and also incomplete is that Medicare re reimburses at a higher rate for COVID patients. There's a, there is a 20% increase over standard Medicare reimbursement rates for COVID-19 um, that was enacted through the CARES Act. The insinuation in the video is that then hospitals and doctors are intentionally misdiagnosing mm -hmm. people for that extra money. And I think if I were having a conversation with someone who believed that, I would say, would you do that in your job? If someone mm -hmm. offered you an extra ten, fifteen, thirteen thousand dollars, thirteen, I think is the number floating around, but from what I've read, it's not standard everywhere. There are adjustments. But if someone offered let's make it twenty. If someone offered you twenty thousand dollars to lie about something that someone's life could depend on in your job, would you do it for twenty thousand dollars? And if your whole career could go down, if you did it even one time, mm -hmm. would you do it over and over and over again? I just don't think that's where most people are. I don't I don't look at my fellow human beings and think that poorly of them. I also think it's important in these conversations to acknowledge that politics is always about priorities. And that's the argument that we're having right now, because if you take the partisanship away from it, COVID-19 and our responses to it are about what we prioritize at what point. I do not think that the people 
who want to get a haircut right now and are protesting in capitals about that want anyone to die from this. I do not think their intention is to kill other human beings. I do not think that the salon owner in Dallas should have been arrested or incarcerated. And I do not believe that she wants other people to be hurting. I believe that she's prioritizing economic security over an expansive definition of public health. I want people who are in that perspective where they will prioritize economic security over an expansive definition of public health to realize that someone like me, who in this moment is prioritizing an expansive definition of public health, does not want anyone to starve. I don't want any businesses to close. I don't want us to be in a recession for a year or more because of these choices. But the truth is, some people will die and we probably will be in a recession because this is a really hard problem. And that's the discussion I want to have with my friends and neighbors. That's the discussion that I think helps us focus in on problem solving and taking this one step at a time. Okay, how can we get creative about our businesses so that fewer people die? Okay, how can we get creative around how we support people through this time? If the mask is part of the solution to any extent, like I said, okay, I'm willing to do that because this is a really hard problem and I do not have all the answers. And I'm not going to accuse you of being a terrible person, but please don't accuse me of that either. I think what's difficult is that so many people don't trust anyone in a position of authority to solve the problem, particularly if it's in the government. They do not believe the government can be a problem solver, period, full stop. The sort of intensification of that position is some people think that this isn't a problem, that there is no crisis, that this is completely sort of created either nefariously to control our country or to control its citizens or whatever, you know, depending on which bad guy you choose, or so people could profit off a vaccine. And so they're, you know, they're not going to come to the problem-solving table because they don't think it's a problem. They think it's a created crisis. Can I say, though, that I think in many ways we we don't start there. We back into that. And we back into it because we don't have that grace and space for each other. I was telling Sarah before we started recording, I scrolled through my husband's Facebook feed, which is quite different than mine last night. And it was essentially from both left and right perspectives, and I am not saying that they are equal. Please do not email me about false equivalency. I've been at this for a while. I understand. But back and forth, you're stupid. No, you are. That's all it was. You're stupid. No, you are. And I think that we back into really extreme positions over time because this gets harder and harder to handle psychologically from so many angles. And one of those angles is just the way we're treating each other about it. I think we are in a self-fulfilling prophecy here in some ways, too. Do you know what I mean? Well, I mean, I guess I would just say that I think we we back into those extremes, not just because of our individual choices, but because of real problems in our society. If you want reasons to distrust the pharmaceutical industry, you do not need to go to a YouTube video to find it. 
Just like if you need reasons to distrust the government, you do not need to go to an Alex Jones show to find it. We have a problem with trust in our institutions because in many ways, the institutions have faltered or failed us. And, you know, I think in a really intense way, COVID-19 is sort of forcing us to face the the reality of that, sort of the destruction. Because it's just, to me, right now, everything can be traced back to a lack of trust. There's just no trust. And depending on who you're talking to, it's a distrust of science. It's a distrust of the media. It's a distrust of the government. It's a distrust of corporations. And we take it out on each other, but... And I'm not really sure we're directing our our anger in the right spots, right? And but we get so mad because the other person doesn't see the you know the we think their distrust is misplaced. But it's like we're all doing the same thing. We're just you're just pointing our frustrations at the failings of these institutions at different institutions. It feels like a circular firing squad, right? You know, I, I and I think that's what's so hard. I think there was this beautiful moment where we thought the stakes of coronavirus would get high enough that it would it would force us to see that that we're on the same side. And I think what we're all struggling with emotionally right now, I know I am, is that it seems to have just intensified that distrust instead of giving us a reason to move past it. And I want to extend some olive branches through that. And and one of those this is a question that I've gotten. So I want to say transparently, I do not think that videos like this should be pulled down from major tech sites. Not because I think there's an entitlement to have them there. I think these are private companies and they're not obligated to host anything that they don't want to host. But a video like this to me that is not overtly racist, that doesn't incite violence, that doesn't degrade an entire classification of people based on their identity, although doctors might take issue with that. Other scientists might take issue with that. A video like this that is just really bad information, dangerously bad information. To me, when you remove it, you feed the narrative. See, they're all against us. People actually don't want you to have this. I think it's fine to have this out there on YouTube and then to have us doing the work of talking through what it means and why. Uh, do I wish for it to be there? Of course not. But that's not what it's about. And I really want to say to people, hey, I hear some of these points. Let's talk about them. Let's talk about them. And let's also not spread around something that is not helpful right now and that has that is more false than true. And that's my advice for Facebook interactions, because I know that's what so many of you are faced with. Someone sent this to me. I don't know how to respond. I saw this. Do I comment on it or not? And I think the best approach, recognizing that we are never going to all get on the same page in one comment thread, is to say, I see some of your points here and I know that things are hard right now. I also have read so much that discredits the main points being shared, and I don't think we ought to share information right now when so many people are getting sick that we aren't absolutely sure about. And I, and that's that's where I would leave it. Not shaming people, not calling them stupid, not assuming the worst intentions of them. I see some of where you're coming from. 
I also don't see truth in this. Let's talk about that. I would only alter that to say I'm not exactly sure how I feel about leaving them up there. But the one thing I think I can definitely agree on is if we're going to leave them up there and we decide, because I do think it fuels their fire to pull it down, they should not be monetized. They should not be monetized. To me, like, there's a part of me that says, if YouTube in particular said all this problematic speech, you can leave it, but you can't make money off of it. There will be no monetization for these types of videos. I don't care if it has 10 million views. To me, that would be more valuable or at least a good first step to say, oh, we're not. No, you can have your hateful speech, but you can't have you can make money off of it. You can't include links, all that kind of thing for what it's worth. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible. And skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin and I have added ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies. So we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin. I take a probiotic. And Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. 
Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Well, before we leave you for the weekend, we need to say a few words about the tragic, unnecessary, just gut-wrenching murder of Ahmaud Arbery in Georgia. On February 23rd, Ahmaud was out for a run. He was 25 years old, and his family describes him as just being out for his daily jog. A father and son saw him believed that he matched the description, a private security video of a breaking and entering. They went and retrieved their guns. They hunted him down, confronted him, and then the son shot and killed him in the street. This was two months ago. There were no charges. Until recently, a video has surfaced of his killing And it has led to protest and outcry and attention to this unbelievable tragedy. An outside prosecutor tells members of the media that the case will go to a grand jury in mid-June since Georgia courts are still closed due to COVID-19. What I just want to emphasize here, because there is I've seen a lot of discussion about what is the law on self-defense in Georgia what did Arbery do? Was he was he armed or not? Listen, we don't go hunt people down. That's that to me is the whole crux of this. These guys saw a jogger, thought he resembled someone who broke in somewhere in their neighborhood. And instead of calling police about that, which would have a whole issue of racism on its own in making that kind of vague identification, they armed themselves and hopped in a truck and followed him. That, I'm done, right? Because we don't do that. We do not privately enforce the law that way in this country. And I am just, I don't even know how to process that this has happened again and that it has taken two months for any kind of response. The FBI is investigating it as a hate crime. We will certainly know more. But there's just no gray area about this. They followed him. He didn't even know they were following him. And they armed themselves. And they they did this. They murdered this man while he was out for a jog. And it's wrong. One of my most favorite authors and writers and thinking thinkers about race is Ibram X. Kendi. His books have really affected me. And I think one of the best points he makes is it's really, really important to focus on racist policies. I think it would be easy to look at the horrendous actions of these two men, one of which was a former investigator within this county, and think, well, there's something wrong with them, and they're racist, and Clearly, there's, you know, they were just pursuing their own really racist ideas. And I think that that is tempting, but wrong. I think these 
self-defense laws because they have gone unarrested for two months because of policy. The video forcing the prosecutor's hand is an issue of racist laws. And we've seen them present in other cases just like this. We have got to fight these racist self-defense laws. They are getting people, particularly young black men, killed. And I hope that this case will be the death of these laws. They've got to go. They've got to go. I don't know why they're still present. Seeing all the death and tragedy they've wrought so far. But, you know, this video is horrific. This poor mother who's lived for two months knowing her son was shot in the street with no justice. It's just, it's unacceptable. I have not posted anything on social media about this because it just feels wrong to me to share the video. Because it is so horrifying. And I just want to say that I think this is an outrage, and I hope justice is done, and I pray for this family, and I am not going to add to the barrage of asking people to view something this awful over and over again. We were tagged in something that I think was a really important way to commemorate this and take in what it means on a societal level by a listener, Simone Griffin. And she allowed us to read this poem that she wrote here. It is called Prayers for a Black Son. At nighttime, she hugs him a little tighter. She wishes her prayers could end with the simplicity of sweet dreams. Instead, her lips form prayers of protection and pleas that the sweet face gazing up at her will not be the next face plastered on the news. A black boy taken too soon from a world that turns its face and proceeds with life as her heart sinks in heaviness and her tears drench pillows. She knows that God has not given her a spirit of fear, but this feels scary. Lord, help them to remember that he's a son, not a statistic. Thank you so much, Simone, for sharing that with all of us. This has been like a lot, this episode. I know. And everything is a lot. It's a time of a lot. We really appreciate you being here for it. We will be back in your ears on Tuesday. And until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Pantsuit Politics is produced by Dylan Garvin and Studio D Productions. Elise Knapp is our managing director. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Our show is listener-supported. Special thanks to our executive producers, Tracy Putoff, Tim Miller, Tiffany Hasler, Martha Brunitsky, Joshua Allen, David McWilliams, Allie Edwards, Amy Whited, Jared Menson, Allison Luzader, and Barry Kaufman. To support Pantsuit Politics and receive lots of bonus features, visit patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics. You can connect with us on our website, pantsuitpoliticsshow.com, sign up for our weekly emails, and follow us on Instagram at pantsuitpolitics.